Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, here we are, another episode of Fostering Change. It is so hard to believe that we are already in the month of April. And I don't know about all of you, but I am loving the weather. I'm loving the change. By the way, this is my busiest time of year. So the traveling has been a little crazy. Those of you who follow me on social media. But you know what? I truly do believe that you cannot sit back and you cannot wait for change to happen, that you got to get in there. You know, it's like I tell my kids, you know, you can't be a leader and not get in the game and play. You know, my next guest, I'm really excited for us to have a conversation. You know, whether you're actually listening to this on any of our podcast platforms or maybe you subscribe to our YouTube video, I think you're going to get as much out of this today as I know I'm going to get out of this. You know, Chris, um, I want to introduce you. Um, at first, I wanted to introduce you as the chief executive officer of the Orangewood Foundation. But there's something I want to say to you that I didn't think you and I, we have a little bit in common is that I actually have a finance background just like you did. So um, for 28 years, I was in the finance arena. Um, I was an executive for the last 15 years, and I did the exact same thing you did. All of a sudden, three years ago, I did that shift from what I call the takers, which are dot coms, and I went to the givers, which is dot org. So, you know what, Chris? Welcome to Fostering Change. Oh, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I want to dive right in. I want to talk about the Orangewood Foundation. Um, But before I do that, I want to ask you the question of exactly how did it make you all of a sudden you go from this, you know, going from a, you know, what I consider, you know, as I said, the takers, the dot coms um, and going to a dot org. And I know for me, it happened because my my family started a, an organization. You know, I had a book come out and so that it all happened. But for you to make that pivotal change, what made you decide to do it? Well, it wasn't something that I was planning on doing necessarily at that stage in my life, but I was working for a very large organization and I was the chief financial officer and, uh, you know, I had gone to school, got my finance degree and, you know, here I was almost 40 years old and I had achieved what I thought I was always looking for. And when I got into that position, I had four small children at the time and the demands on me and my family were enormous. And the culture of the organization I was with wasn't also a good fit for me as a person and who I was. And so I was really struggling with what to do. And out of the blue, I got a letter on my desk saying, hey, there's a nonprofit that needs a chief financial officer. So I thought this must be a sign from above that uh, I need to look into this. So I interviewed and you know, they said, why are you here? You're at this huge company. And we're this small nonprofit. And I said, I, I need to do something different. And 
uh, I want to check this out. And the more I talked to the people and learned about the mission of Orangewood Foundation, I was hooked. So, you know, I tell people all the time it was the best decision I ever made. And, and really, the only thing I gave up was money. That was yeah. it. All the other things that I've gained uh, over the last 15 years has just been an abundance of riches for me. And, and it's just been such a great ride. Yeah, you know, I, I say the same exact thing. You know, the one thing about, you know, um, running a nonprofit, it actually fills my heart. It just doesn't fill my my wallet. And so, um, I, you know, so listen, let's dive right in. The Orangewood Foundation. So I've done some research, you know, and I love the fact that you support teens, you know, and young adults um, right there within Orange County. I spend some time in Orange County. These are my five kids that are hanging on the wall behind me, um, my, my beautiful children who all came to me through foster care. And my oh. oldest son arrived in 2019 at the age of 18. Um, and so, you know, I, I started as I was reading about your organization, I was thinking about, you know, if I had not gone to that school and given that speech that day and met my son, um, and then, you know, brought him home three months later, you know, what an amazing opportunity to have an organization where we are. So tell me exactly what is the Orangewood Foundation? Sure. So, like you said, our primary mission is to serve teens and young adults. Uh, the majority of them have spent some time in the foster care system, but that is not a requirement to access our programs and services. We're here to help young people in need, bottom line. And uh, we started out serving primarily young people as teenagers in foster care, preparing them for adulthood, or helping those that left the foster care system to get through that transition, which is a very, very difficult one. I mean, if you think of any 18-year-old, even if they come from a stable family, to ask them to go out on their own, go to college, if they graduated high school, find a job, find an apartment, do all that on their own with no family support system, that is a huge thing to ask of anybody. So we see them struggle. And uh, we serve about 2,000 young people a year, and some of them are on one end of the spectrum, sleeping on the street, sleeping in their car, they're struggling with homelessness. Um, but the other end of the spectrum, we've got kids, you know, 250 kids that are on college scholarship with us that are former foster youth that are working towards a degree, and then everything in between. So our organization is trying to provide as much support and services as we can to, to help those young people in these very, you know, challenging and important years of their life. Yeah, you know, I, I will have to tell you, I mean, I was a kid who grew up in the system. I aged out of foster care and I actually became homeless, lived on the streets my entire senior year of high school. Um, and, you know, I remind people all the time that children who are homeless, um, you you know, I I've, I was giving a talk and someone said to me, you know, I, I've, I've never seen any 
child homeless or on the streets? And I said, yeah, because you're not looking in the right places. Because kids who are homeless are hanging out at the malls. They're hanging out in shopping centers. They're hanging out in the public library. And I think that we have more of a homeless population of children than we actually, as you know, Americans want to admit. And I'm, I'm assuming that you're seeing a lot of that within the Orange County area. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have a drop-in center here that is utilized primarily by our, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds. And, you know, when we talk to them and start building a relationship with them, many of them are couch surfing or moving around from place to place. And those, those people aren't always counted when, when you go to do your homeless counts. Um, and so the numbers are understated dramatically in, in many cases. And so there is an issue out there and it's one that we're trying to tackle as best we can and do our part. So, you know, one of the things that I have always said, you know, and I've said it with my past guests as well, who who are in the foster care arena trying to make change is I, I feel like, you know, we go in and we try to save these children, you know, from what we consider the word neglect, um, understanding 64% of all kids in the system are there because of that word neglect. Me, I believe that word neglect is no more than a word called poverty, you know, um, but then what once they turn 18, 19 in some states, some states have actually pushed the, the needle to 21, we actually give up on these kids and we send them out in the world with no net. You know, one of the things I've always said is that if we want to truly change the, the trajectory of children in foster care, one, we have to financially set them up for success. And if we're able to give money to foster parents, there's no reason why we can't take a bit of that stipend and put it in an interest-bearing savings account for these children. Number two, we must open up the education pathways. And I do not mean just pay tuition. They need complete wraparound services. If there were things that you could see change within the system, so you could see less people having to drop in um, into your facility, what would you do? Well, uh, that's a great question. And, and we, I'd say we've done some of those things in our small way um, in Orange County. You know, education is key. Uh, you know, only about two thirds of foster youth graduate high school. So if you don't even have a high school diploma, it's very challenging for you to do anything as an adult in, in a way that's going to have a career path that's going to be able to sustain you. you. You might be able to get hourly jobs, but, you know, that's not sustainable long term. So we actually built our own public charter high school to serve foster youth and, and, and youth in the community that are uh, living in poverty. We're in our eighth year now, and we're graduating 100% of our foster youth and 99% of all of our students. So that was a big initiative we've just completed over the last 10 years. Um, you know, I, I am encouraged by some of the things that I'm seeing at both the federal and state level here in California. HUD has recently come out with housing vouchers specifically for former foster youth. And uh, we have partnered up with some others in the community here to get those vouchers in the hands of our young adults. And then we are, as you mentioned, providing those wraparound case management services for those young people because you can give them a voucher and put them in an apartment but as a 19, 20 year old who's never lived on their own, they're gonna have questions, they're gonna need support. So you've gotta have those vital services around them and that 
and that key person at Orangewood Foundation that they can call when they have an issue or their plumbing breaks or, you know, their car breaks down. So now they don't have money, you know, to do something else that, you know, buy their groceries. So you're so right that you can't just create a solution that just puts, you know, a roof over their heads. You know, there's a lot of factors that contribute to young people struggling whether they were in foster care or not, a lot of them have undergone trauma in, as a child. And, you know, that takes a toll on people's decision-making and their brain development. And so, you know, in their early 20s, they're still trying to figure it all out and trying to get past some of that trauma that um, they experienced. So you've got to give them time. You've got to be patient. And during that time, you know, they're going to need resources. Um, there's also other programs that the state of California is looking at a guaranteed income program, uh, rolling that out that would help kids coming out of foster care to just give them a little bit of income to help pay their bills and, you know, get them through this early adult period that can be so challenging. So there are more resources going into homelessness and supporting young adults than there have been when I first started at Orangewood Foundation. So we're encouraged about that. Um, but yeah, there's still I mean, a I have to agree. To I mean, Chris, I do agree with you. I, I do see some, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. in some states, but I will tell you, I remind everyone and I listen, remind my listeners and my viewers, your community, it's not your zip code, Chris. Our community is our human race. And if, if we're not supporting kids throughout our country, at the end of the day, no matter what California is doing, if we don't get Iowa on board, if we don't get Arizona on board, we are still in such a failure mode. Listen up. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. I am loving this conversation. The fact is, is it's another like-minded person who truly understands that when a child is, we invest in a child's future, we invest in our own future. If we take that child off the street and give him hope, we give ourselves hope. We're going to be right back. So, you know, everybody, I talk about this quite often, um, seeing the expansion that we have at Comfort Cases and to now know that we have a Comfort Cases UK team, I could not be more grateful. But what I'm so excited about is that on May the 24th, my family will be boarding a plane and heading to the UK for a really big event. So I have my friend, Sarah, who is actually also the CEO and the founder of Comfort Cases UK right here with me today. So Sarah, tell us about what's going on when I get there. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you come to the UK. I cannot tell you, we are just so looking forward to meeting you and all your family. And we have got a huge event taking place on the 26th of May. Um, we are introducing comfort cases to our community, to our network, and we are so excited to invite you to talk as our keynote speaker. Um, and we will be doing some fundraising on the evening, but most importantly is to spread the message of how important the work that Comfort Cases UK is trying to do and to continue all the good work that you've already been doing over there in the US. And uh, things are happening really fast here and we just cannot wait for you to share it with us. 
Well, I will tell you, I'm really, really excited. So listen, everybody, for those who are listening to our podcast or actually you're watching it on YouTube, I want you all to do me one big favor. I want you to go to comfortcasesuk.org and donate. That's exactly right. What you would have donated to Comfort Cases, you know, here, I want you to go donate to comfortcasesuk.org. We truly need to make people understand whether there's a pond that is separating us, we are all one community. So Sarah, I'm excited to come to the UK, sending lots of love and please comfortcasesuk.org. What an amazing conversation. You know, when we were taking our break, and by the way, I want to thank our sponsors for supporting Fostering Change. Um, But as we were taking our break, Chris and I were having a conversation. And of course, you know, who other than Dr. Perry's name got brought up? You all know how I feel about him. He's been on our podcast. And I love the fact that what he says, it's not, you know, um, what's wrong with that person, but what what has happened to that person. And for me, you know, I'm 55 years old. I love my therapist and um, I tell him all the time he has gotten me through some of the darkest and hardest times because of trauma. And no matter what, when you think about what kids are going through and and, and you know what, I, I want everybody to understand something, whether you've gone through the foster care system or you're a young adult, a youth who has um, gone through a traumatic family. I mean, there are lots of children who are staying with biological families that are going through trauma. And when they turn 18, they're kicked out on the street with no one. And here we have this amazing organization, the Orangewood Foundation, located in um, Orange County, California, who's really changing the needle. Chris, I'd like to talk some about, first of all, I want to say congratulations, because I know for a fact that only 54% of kids actually graduate from high school who are in foster care. I am the youngest of 10 kids, and I think I'm the only one that actually graduated from high school. So I get that. And to hear you say 100% of children who go to your charter school that you all have built and funded um, graduate that, my friend alone, you are my hero. Um, but what I'd like to tell, talk about is really talk about the trauma and how we can become more educated about the trauma that these young adults have gone through or are going through. Sure, yeah. You know, we're trying to be a community leader in this area by educating the community around the issue of being trauma-informed. Um, you know, like you mentioned when we came back, uh, Dr. Perry was a guest speaker at our luncheon last year, and we brought him in because we wanted the community to hear what he had to say about the fact that a lot of young people experience trauma of some kind, and their actions and their behaviors sometimes are driven by that trauma. And the more that we can look through a trauma-informed lens at that person and their behaviors and understand that some of the things that they're doing are, are not things that they are consciously thinking about, that they're doing these things because of the way they were raised, et cetera. It helps us understand and be more empathetic about their situation. And, you know, uh, you talked about therapy. When I started at Orangewood and over the first 10 years, we didn't offer mental health services as one of our programs for our young people. 
you know, they had access to mental health services through some of the benefits that they get. But to ask a young person who doesn't have a car to get on the bus for 45 minutes to go to some office to meet with somebody they've never met, that wasn't working for us. So we enlisted our own group of therapists. Some of them come on site to meet with our young people. And now we have dozens and dozens of our young people regularly getting therapy where we used to spend no money on therapy. We're spending $15,000 a month with our therapists to serve our young people. And especially during COVID, you could imagine they had a lot of needs and they were really feeling isolated and down. And even though we kept our uh, drop-in center and our housing programs open during COVID, they still felt disconnected from their, the friends they had, from, you know, a lot of them lost their jobs. So it was a challenging time. And I'm really glad we had those relationships in the mental health arena already established to support them. Yeah, I, I really do think, and I say this quite often to my listeners and viewers, is that, you know, never, ever be ashamed of the fact that you go to a therapist. Um, and the fact that, you know, my husband and I are celebrating 17 years of marriage and I get in next week and I, I always tell him, I'm like, you know, 17 years happened because we've had good therapy. So um, <laughs> therapy and then also knowing that, you know, having five children who have come to our home with trauma um, because of a shadow system, you know, it's good for them to be able to go and talk. You know, one of the things that I heard you say is that you cannot solve the homeless crisis by solely building a housing unit, you know, and, and that's something I've talked about quite often. It's like the same thing with the whole education. You can't solve a child who's in foster care um, just by giving them tuition, paying them tuition. We see governors left and right lately who have patted themselves on the back because they're like, oh, look what we're doing. We're, we're we're paying for tuition for children who age out of foster care. That's not the answer. And I think that's not the answer for homelessness as well. What do you feel that more that needs to be done besides just giving? As you said, you know, you're giving vouchers, you know. I mean, the fact is, is when my 18-year-old son came to me, he didn't even know what a checking account was. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing to lift these kids up to be able to have a successful apartment? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, homelessness is a complex issue. Uh, a lot of people focus on lack of affordable housing as, as kind of the primary driver of that. But, you know, once again, we're talking about young people that you know, have experienced a lot of trauma um, and, or veterans or these different groups, a mental illness that goes untreated also is a contributing factor, substance abuse, lack of skills or, or education. So, there's a lot of different factors that contribute to the homelessness issue. Our focus with young adults is, yes, they need to have housing. They need to have a place where they can take a shower, where they can feel safe. But it's all those other supports around them uh, that are so critical. Having a network of relationships is, is one of the biggest predictors of success with young people having a mentor, having a coach, having somebody that they can go to. And, you know, we fill that role in, 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 in many cases, but we also try to build a support network for these young people. So, uh, you know, when they stop using our services, they've got support around them. And, you know, homelessness is, is 
unfortunately not something that's going to be cured overnight, but it's going to take a lot of creative and innovative thinking, and it's going to take money and resources as well. But I think we've got to get away from the, the thought that we just need more structures and more homes. Our school, for example, it's a, it's a beautiful facility. You know, we raised a lot of money to build it. But the reason the kids are so successful is because they come there and they feel like people care, that they're supported, that our staff there wants them to succeed and believes that they will succeed. And, and you know, young people need affirmation. They need to know that people care about them and that they have worth and they can be successful. And all the other things build upon that. And so we try really hard to really connect with our young people, build trusting relationships with them. That's kind of the foundation of everything that we do. If, if they come here for the first time and, and they wanna check out who we are and, and what we do, and, you know, and we give them a meal and, and they don't feel safe and they don't feel like this is a place where they're not gonna be judged, um, they're not gonna come back. So we gotta be there with open arms and say, hey, how can we help you? What do you need? And then build on that. Yeah, I agree. You know, the fact is, as I always say, kids are resilient. They are very resilient and they are even more resilient when they have a team of people around them that believe in them, that lift them up. You know, it's, you know, it's not that always, oh, that bad kid or that kid's not going to be able to make it because, you know, he was homeless or he was in foster care or he, but kids are absolutely resilient. And I said in the beginning, and I say it all the time, if we do not invest in our children today, we will be required to do it tomorrow because the only thing that we are seeing when it comes to kids who are aged out of foster care and kids who are homeless are experiencing homelessness is we are seeing them in our, our penitentiaries. And we are seeing such a heavy flow of young adults going into the penitentiary. They're saying now that, you know, close to 80% of kids who are in a, in, incarcerated have either been touched or in foster care. So right there, that shows us that we have got to do better than what we are doing. You know... My amazing friend Gideon Bernstein um, is the one who actually connected the two of us. Um, I'm excited to see that, you know, you have on the back of his book, as you told me, um, this is a great book. I, you know, I always say it's so nice when like-minded people come together. Um, and I truly do believe that the future is brighter than what it was for me as a kid, you know, who experienced homelessness and was in the system. Listen, Chris, I think that your organization is top-notch. Um, I actually would love to come and visit um, your school. Um, I'm Like I said, I am out in Orange County quite often throughout the year, and so I definitely am going to make sure that I get out there. Listen, what is your ask? What is it that someone could do that's based right where you are or anywhere in this country that they could actually do to help support your foundation? Well, our biggest need right now locally here in Orange County for our organization is we need uh, foster parents. We created a very unique and innovative foster family agency program about a year ago uh, in conjunction with our school. We want to get more foster youth to attend our school. So we built a dormitory on our campus 
And we have a shared care model where a foster parent would be matched up with a student in foster care at our school. And Sunday night through Friday afternoon, that young person would live on in the dorm on campus getting extra supports while that foster parent is working or doing um, taking care of their own biological families. But then on the weekends, the, the, the student would go back to the foster parent's home and get involved with their family. And, and they do that on the vacations and summer breaks. So it's a very unique model that doesn't require a 24 seven commitment by a foster parent. And so we are actively recruiting for, for those foster parents so that we can bring more young people into this program. I absolutely love that. I'm going to tell you something. That program needs to be modeled throughout the country. I know that in Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, the amazing Milton Hershey has the all very similar um at his campus, um, I've been able to visit them. They're doing amazing things like you guys are. And, and you, you just, you absolutely hit the nail on the head when it comes to we need more people to step up and invest in the future of our children. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. They belong to us. And, you know, and let me tell you, time is the most valuable thing we all have. And there is no reason why you can't give up a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday afternoon um, to truly impact a child's life. Because I want to tell you, if I lived in Orange County, I already have five kids, but I would have five more um, if the state and the county would allow us because we truly do know that investing children in foster care is what we all should be doing. Chris, listen, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, I cannot thank you enough. Um, we will be posting all of your social media to where people can go. They can read about your organization. If you're in the Orange County area and if you're even just thinking the slight little thought of maybe you want to be a foster parent, please reach out to the Orangewood Foundation. Let them talk to you. Let them be able to see why and let you know that you should step up and be a foster parent. Everyone, I want to thank you so much again for listening to Fostering Change. Again, making us a number one podcast in foster care and adoption, knowing that each and every one of us on any given day have an opportunity. And that opportunity is to be a good human to be a good human. So do me a big favor, share this podcast, make sure you subscribe on our YouTube channel. And if you ever have a conversation you wanna have with me or a question, just email me at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Take care, everyone. I wanna say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.